welcome to Who Are You Wearing? I'm Kira Bridget McLean, a comedian that loves clothes and loves chatting to stylish people about why they wear the clothes that they do. This week, I am chatting to one of the wittiest and most thoughtful humans I know, the immaculate Tom Allen. There's some really lovely chats in this episode about being the eccentric kid in your school that I just have a feeling is going to resonate with many of you people who listen. It was recorded in July 2021, so a little while ago now, but Tom is so articulate about what it was to be growing up gay and especially about how flamboyance and eccentricity were treated at that time. It's a very hostile world underneath a Tory government, imagine that. Um, as a result, we'll be chatting about homophobia, especially in relation to HIV, so just a heads up on that. Tom speaks so honestly and with such empathy for his younger self, but also I think the people around him, I think he gives such an insight into how important representation and joy is to people's self-esteem. It's a really, really lovely chat. He's, God, I could just listen to him for hours and hours. There's also a delicious story about buying a vintage dinner jacket in this episode with a great bit of advice about how to keep your money safe. <laughs> Something that um, my mum always told me to do as well, so look out for that. Please enjoy this episode as I ask Tom Allen who you're wearing. Two things to count for me. One was when I um, would like to get dressed up in um, a pair of my mum and dad's old curtains and would put um, the wrapper of a, of a cake, like, you know, it's like a card wrapper around the outside of a round yeah. cake. I don't think you get cakes like this anymore. Um, like a Victoria's sponge or something. I'd put that on my head and um, insist that my mum and dad put the an old roller blind going down the stairs and I would sit at the top and pretend that I was an emperor. That's one sense of style. <laughs> really great how would you describe your style imperious and um (laughs) regal let's say um other moment was um when my dad this was the era of going to dinner dances in the um i'd say mid to late 80s Um, my mum and dad would sometimes go to a dinner dance because they had some friends who um were members of cherry lodge golf club in uh near westrum in kent uh, oh, these were high days. These were high, <laughs> high Real days. boom bust era stuff. Boom bust era pre ninety two monetary crash. Sorry, John Major. Um, the um, and Dad got a dinner jacket, and I was furious because I always wanted a dinner jacket with the silky lapels, and I I, I threw a huge tantrum and cried about it because I wanted one, and I couldn't believe my dad would betray me by getting one and not getting me one because I just wanted to look like Cannon and Ball, who I was obsessed with on the television, who always wore... It was a time when people always wore dinner jackets on Saturday night television. Um, Cannon and Ball and various other people uh, who were entertaining at that time, but it was always like the de rigueur, you know, the sort of glitzy sets they'd have at the Royal Variety and things. I wanted to be there. And I was obsessed when we did a school, when we did a nursery school nativity, and I was like, why is our stage wood and dusty? Why can't it be shiny? Like it is on the television. I wanted it just to be shiny. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting. So were you watching that stuff on the telly? And so were you trying to emulate it in what you were because you wanted to be there? Or were you trying to emulate it because you were like, that is the coolest you can look? Oh, I think I wanted to be there. I wanted to be part of it. I wanted to be in that world. I wanted to be in the television with Cannon and Ball or Russ Abbott or whoever I was obsessed with that that week, or Little and Large, um, or maybe Hale and Pace. 
who are the management. Um, and, um, you know, there's, I just sort of wanted to be in it. I just loved it. I just loved the glitz. I was so taken in by the glitz and glamour. A bit like, you know, like Dolly Parton wrote Jolene about the um, sex worker she saw in her local high street. And um, mm. that was that was my Jolene, was Cannonball. <laughs> <laughs> That's so lovely. So you had a strong sense of style as a kid. Yeah, I think so. And I always liked the idea of suits and suiting. I remember we were going to um, my mum's cousin's uh, uh, wedding in Bournemouth, Geraldine. And um, it was a big occasion because my nan, very proud Irish lady, uh, very keen for the family to look, outside of the family, to, to look our best. And mm. I was adamant that I wanted to wear a blazer. But mum was like, why don't you just wear that lovely cardigan I got you? Um, this was, I was... I was circa five to six years old and um, <laughs> I was adamant. And then we were in Woolworths and the Ladybird collection had a blazer and my, I made my mum buy it for me and I got to wear a blazer. I was so thrilled. Mum was like, oh, do you really want to do you really? I mean, I think it was like nine pounds, which was a, a lot of money at that point. But I, being the demanding little bitch that I was, <laughs> I, I asked my mum, I begged my mum to buy it. And so I got to wear a blazer. I was thrilled. Um, and my nan did like it, but I think there was a sense of like... A, I think mum was wanted me and my younger brother to be wearing the same outfit. That would have been peak. That's but um I that's so interesting it. that already you were going for something very formal before probably an age where you could articulate what formal was. Yes, absolutely. And I was always kind of intrigued by like history and kind of old fashioned ways. And I think even then I was sort of getting the sense that I wanted to escape the world. The world felt too frightening to me. And so I wanted to escape to a world which in, in my mind was more contained if it was in the past, even though the past mm. was obviously more frightening and more, you know, people had to fight wars and things, which I, I don't mind telling you, I don't think I'd be very good in. And um, <laughs> I think, you know, but in my mind, I sort of had the sense of the past as a time, I guess, cause I'd seen it a lot through sort of musicals, uh, but a time when things were a little bit more kind of, um, uh, I, I don't know, there were rules and guidance and stuff. I think strangely, very oddly, I've always been sort of fascinated by formality and, and etiquette and manners and stuff. And that, that uh, grew as I, as I got into adolescence, bizarrely. But, um, but you know, even from a very early age, I liked the idea of formality and would lay the table even as a child. And, and like even the breakfast cereals I'd lay out in order and then I'd be annoyed with my dad for messing it up. It's like, well, how am I supposed to? Oh, well, I can't move it. I can't do touch anything. Then what's the part of this table? I don't know. What well, I'm just, I'm just getting the box out of the middle. I'm like, no, you don't understand. You've ruined it. Mum would be like, oh, your, dad, leave, your dad's got to get his breakfast. Like, it's ruined. Precocious, unbearable. I am imagining those, you know, those variety packs of cereal, but with those yes. loads of little ones, and you're really cross that he's not taken one, the frosties or the cornflakes from the end. Symmetry, always symmetry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Cocoa Pops always say for the last Friday of half term, except the only time we were allowed selection boxes was during the holidays. Were you allowed them all the time, Kiri? No, I don't actually think. I think a selection box was a thing that came a lot later when. My parents wouldn't have bought... My parents are very weird about food, uh, which is why I have such a chill and healthy relationship with it now. So there's certain <laughs> things that were completely... Crisps I didn't have until I was probably about uh, 12. And really? biscuits weren't allowed. There were odd things that my chewing gum, we used to sneak, but we weren't allowed. There was odd things that my mother had in her head that we weren't allowed. Fair enough. I mean, so. probably healthier to not have crisps and 
biscuits. Well, the other side of it mm-hmm. is she was getting microwave frozen doner kebabs from Iceland. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a totally <laughs> consistent line in my eyes. <laughs> and the messaging was different then. It was just different. Microwaves yes, were the saviour. Fingers crispy pancakes. Yeah. Oh, God, um, they're so delicious. Um, so lovely. Did you... Who was who was dressing you then? Was it was it you and you and mum, or was it was it mum being like, no, this is what you should wear, or were you actually dictating? It was me and mum. I think when I was small, um, and even if I was wearing like a tracksuit, I would see it as kind of like a formal thing, like almost like a suit. I remember they had a green tracksuit with white stripes on it and a red collar, and um, it was uh, a little Italian flag, and I remember being very proud of it and would wear it as though it was like a uniform and like a sort of uh, a thing that was something to be proud, you know, like, yeah, proud of, I suppose, and to treat formally, um, even though it was a, a tracksuit from Quality Seconds and it was the Tuesday of half term and I was in year one. But yeah, that was <laughs> all that sort of sense. And then shell suits came in later. Obviously, I was dressing myself by that point, but shell suits were very cool. But yeah, my mum would dress me. And it was only every now and then I'd want to kind of affect the the basically i suppose the clothes that my dad was wearing when he was um going to work as a car salesman in uh, in thornton heath oh lovely but yeah ancaster nissan um but yeah but i think i just wanted to be like a gr- i always wanted to be a grown-up that's the mm. thing ever since i was a small child i wanted to be a grown-up i never saw myself as a child i always felt like i was born as a as like a 46 year old man <laughs> so I, I was always kind of uncomfortable that i was wearing like children's clothes weird though really and now as an adult i'm much more childish I think sort of don't don't seem to have any grasp of what it is to be uh, an adult put the bins out feed myself <laughs> you're wearing a romper suit right now yeah. yes of course it's so much easier to <laughs> take on and off when I'm going in the padding pool <laughs> um, could it, were you ever made to wear something that you hated being in that you felt very uncomfortable in um well, not, you know, the opposite of kind of what people, I suppose, would feel about going to a wedding or something. Although I did go to a wedding and I was asked to wear, um, like, tails, but it was hired and it was somebody else's taste. And I didn't care for that. It was like a hired <laughs> morning suit. And I didn't like the way that it was kind of, I was like, if I was wearing a morning suit, I would wear it. I would wear it on my terms and I would choose... I would research how to do it. I wouldn't just go to a hire shop and just take whatever they had. But but that's but I had to sort of wear it and just deal with it. But um, I managed to style it in my own way a little bit, I think, you know, kind of. I did, it had sort of a cravat situation going on, which I didn't like. So I just tied that like a normal tie. Because I think those can look nice, but I think you have to, you have to really go f- for it in quite a... You have to sort of know exactly what it is. It was one of those thick ties and I just tied it like a normal was it, tie. What year was this? Oh, it must be, again, mid-2000s, I think. Because that bit of the 2000s, the sort of mm. Beckham-era marriage yeah. where everyone wore those awful fat cravats it was exactly and usually that. a three-quarter jacket, which was... Oh. And there was a lot of oh. purple and white everywhere. <gasps> yes, I didn't care for it, I have to tell you. And I'm sorry if that's, somebody's looking at that on a wall, reminiscing about <laughs> that, the happiest day. I... I I don't like I didn't like that style. Yeah, it was very because it wasn't it was neither one thing nor t'other. That's what I didn't like about it. It was kind of like yeah. a sort of a slightly apologetic version of a kind of classic formality trying and sort of updated. And I kind of thought, well, if you want to go for a classic formality, just go for it, or just wear whatever you want, like or, or wear a nice suit. Don't feel like you have to do a certain thing. It just sort of felt like there was an obligation that went with it, which I didn't. I didn't think, I, I think that is when people feel obligated to do a thing, 
and they don't feel comfortable, then I think mm. it, then, it's, then I, I, think I have a very visceral reaction to that sort of uh, clothing. It's the same one I have, and this is a very snobby thing I'm about to say to reproduction mm. Victorian furniture. I'm like, Ugh. like I just oh. think I, we can all see what you are. So it would <laughs> it would be better if you concentrated your efforts on being something authentic to you. <laughs> that's that's it. But that's it. It's about a nest of tables. Yeah. <laughs> yes, for example, a nest of tables. Um, and yeah, which was very much de rigueur in well, in my childhood. And then um, when I was 16, I suggested that my mum paint all of the reproduction furniture. And actually, it looks stunning. But the, um, <laughs> what, well, just painted it a neutral. But um, the, yeah, it was, uh, th- there is a sense of that, like, just just be you. And like, don't feel you have to be a certain way. That's, that's the only thing I feel sad is when people feel they have to be a certain thing. And it's just like, you just be whatever you want. It's great. Mm. But I realise that's glib to say. But that would be what I would mm. encourage. Like, whatever you feel you want to wear. So... Did you have an outfit then as a kid or a teenager that you put on that, that you just never wanted to take off because of how it made you feel? Well, so as I got into my teenage years, I really struggled with the downtime in the summer holidays um, because you go, I find school is all about like, you will do this at this time and then you'll do this. And when you go home, we will control your time as well because it will give you homework and everything was so regimented. And then they just go on the 12th of July or whenever, like, oh, see ya. I mean, you have six weeks of n- not having, just in free fall. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do. And You've I been institutionalised. <laughs> I was institutionalised, you know, like that man at the end of Shawshank Redemption. He goes to work in a supermarket. Great film. And um, I, so I felt really quite, quite didn't know what to do with myself. And, and this was a time when I was coming to terms with being um, a gay man and um, was also a, uh, realizing that it was not an encouraging environment in the sort of 90s um and i didn't see at any point i would be able to come out or i never saw a a point where i'd be even happy you know it was very sort of toxic in my experience at times and so this is when i really leaned into this idea of like victoriana clothing or formal clothing and i'd watch mary poppins again and again and george banks and him wearing a bowler hat and 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 to the soundtrack of julie andrews singing um, uh, feed the birds uh, wandering al- alone through the streets of London uh, going back to the bank where he's going to get told off and um, and, and Fred Astaire and all that and I just sort of longed to dress like that in a bit to sort of mo- to somehow transport myself to maybe not that actual era but the idea of that era as created in films which is so unhinged but sort of made sense to me at the time and I think that's that's when I would go to like the library and read up on etiquette manuals and then decided that the job for me would be um, becoming a butler a la Anthony Hopkins in Remains of the Day um, because I thought <laughs> that would be perfect because I, I can wear formal clothes I don't have to worry about my own feelings which I was finding finding quite untidy and um, I could wear formal clothes and just sort of be in this sort of subservient role where I just my concern would be somebody else's life and I wouldn't have to worry about myself it's very sort of codependent I suppose or something but um so as a, as a teenager that's when I, I really lent into that kind of formality and formal dressing and I'd, when I got to sixth form I'd wear bow ties and I'd try and wear detachable collars and would sometimes wear a bowler hat would carry an umbrella would carry a briefcase and it would I knew it would create a response um and, and I sort of saw it as my, like, and my mum would be like, oh, can't you just wear something normal? Um, worried that I'd be attracting violence. But I felt like, no, I've got to do this. It was my way of being sub, sub, um, subversive, I think, and my way of being protest. Um, and then what was more infuriating was that after a while, people um, really liked it and really applauded it. And then I was like, oh, shit. 
I thought this was my way of sticking my fingers up to you. People were like, as, you know, as you get older, kind of teenagers aren't as hostile. And they start suddenly like, oh, it's really cool. I like what you're wearing. Oh, that's really nice. And I was like, um, but, but um, no, my thing is being an outsider. So then it was infuriating. people have a rebellious stage as a teenager it might be a piercing or you know a lot of people will do the goth thing hello i did that for sure so was your rebellion looking like you worked on (laughs) the stock exchange yes or yeah looking like that or looking like a butler or looking yeah sort of um yeah a little bit neville chamberlain um a little bit um you appeaser <laughs> always appeasing people all the time i feel like i've broken into um a little bit of monica in my life um, <laughs> but with um various uh figures from the 1930s um the, but yeah that kind of that kind that, that kind of uh Air was what, yeah, it was my sort of version of being a goth, and I suppose in in another world I probably would have been would have lent towards being some sort of goth, um, but at the same time I'd kind of like staked my claim and like I am different, I'm a, I'm outside of everything. That became part of my identity. So even being part of the goths would have been troublesome. And actually, the that group at school were lovely and really accepting, but somehow I managed to sort of like shun, or not they necessarily want to hang out with me, but didn't sort of engage with them in the way that. Looking back, I was like, why didn't I? But I suppose that's the thing of being young and 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 uh, sort of scared and, you know, thinking about everything and the world being all over the place. It's really interesting that you were dealing with so much as a, as a young gay guy growing up in that environment in that era wow. and your sort of way of dealing with it was going, look at this very formal eccentric thing that I'm presenting, almost like you're playing a character and go, I can I can control all the extraneous variables. When you're feeling very, it sounds like out of control inside with your feelings. Um, I I just think it's. I mean, were you? Did you get a lot of shit? Because to me, I'm like, God, you would have got battered growing up in North Wales like that. But then part of me thinks, oh no, there were some eccentric kids, and actually everybody loved them after well, a while once they got their head around it. Well, I think there is like this contingent of us. What I found the more I've talked about that experience is that there are, there's probably one at, one of me at every school potentially in some form or another. And I think when I first started secondary school, I really was terrified and I did get beaten up and stuff before I was doing anything terribly eccentric. Actually, that's when I was trying to blend in and, um, and I was really scared and I felt like I just had to deny every emotion, you know, like every, and I think a lot of teenagers feel like that as well. It's a very confusing time, but as I got to sort of year nine, year 10, probably year 10, um, I really was like, actually, you know what? I'm doing everything that they're telling me to do and I'm still unhappy. Maybe I should just do a bit of what I want to do. And there's this sort of like life force inside that kind of made me um, not just sort of go, just be that person and be eccentric. And like I said, I did get a bit of shit for it. Or if I was walking around Bromley High Street, then potentially I'd get something shouted at me or I'd get a second glance and that sort of hostility. But... I suppose on one hand, I was bringing it on myself in a way, you could argue. But um, in another vein, I, I, after a while, people who knew me seemed to feel were, were actually very protective. And even the really kind of terrifying kids, in, especially in my year, I had a really nice year group in lots of ways. Um, that they, they were they were very protective of me, which was very lovely, uh, um, actually. 
Um, but uh, but yeah, it's sort of, I, I think there's, my dad again, to quote my dad again, the world takes you at your own valuation. So I think if you do, and not that that's always an easy thing to, to uh, you know, achieve, but, but if you do kind of apologize for yourself, sometimes the world will go, well, yeah, what? Well, yeah, well then, then, then I, I don't trust you. I don't respect you. But if you kind of can foster a sense of like, actually, this is me, and so you better mm. deal with it. And my mum and dad were very sweet about it, really. I indulged it. And my mum worked with um, a woman called Jilly, Auntie Jilly, at the Army and Navy, the department store in Bromley High Street. Sadly, now turned into a TK Maxx. I mean, it's like it's like the it's it's like the fall of Rome, and. Um, <laughs> They, uh, they, but Auntie Julie was very eccentric dresser and would wear kind of like brightly coloured tights and um, dyed her hair pink and wore all this kind of outlandish jewellery and loved eccentricity and had, um, you, you know, her sister lived in Brighton and she was part of this whole kind of like cool world. And, and so she would always be really encouraging and I think would kind of soothe my mum and be like, it's okay, he'll be okay. Oh. When my mum's like, oh God, what's going to happen? So your mum's um, sort of fear is is that coming from it's not a place of don't make a show of us she's trying to protect you she thinks that your your eccentricity is going to make life harder for yourself i th- i think so yeah i think so and it it was i think we forget um that it was a different era then like things were quite markedly different in terms of you know we were still the latter years of the tory government um, we were still, or, or even just, you know, or maybe it just sort of slightly changed with the, like, Tony Blair coming in and it felt like this kind of watershed moment. But but um, it was still quite, a, you know, things like Section 28 and, you, you know, eccentricity wasn't there. Flamboyance wasn't applauded. People coming out, for example, was something that was still a scandal in newspapers and still a shocking thing. And newspapers would kind of try and find out about secret gay lovers and all of that sort of thing, which was very poisonous. And there there wasn't representation of people being out there and being themselves. And there was certainly nothing like, you know, when you think like the, the great representation that comes from things like drag race, where people couldn't be more exuberant, uh, that now has a place in in the in the mainstream media, in the mainstream conscious, and that's that's massive. I think and the fact that people talk about, mm. um, pe- you know, people being themselves, uh, and 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 I think that's a, that's a marked change from, you know, even ten years ago, even five years ago, actually. And 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 when mm. you think about it as well, there wasn't the internet. So much as the internet, I sometimes get very frustrated with, for the horrible people and poisonous things that they say but also it has meant that people can reach out and know that there are other people like them or they know there are different people in the world and um know that there are eccentric flamboyant exuberant people all over and know that they're i mean i i thought it's the little britain sketch but i did think i was the only gay in the world because we didn't know any gay i mean i know we're not talking about sexuality but i feel like it's part of it but you just didn't know anybody else who was different, really. There were very few people. You had to really search them out. If you found somebody who was in any way different, you'd really be like, can, can we be friends? It's really nice if we could be friends. So it was scary. And the world felt, felt frightening. And the, the tone was very much like, be worried. Be worried mm. about everything. And even if there was uh, sort of like high profile gay people, that because of the epidemic with, with HIV and AIDS and mm. the narrative of tabloids, it was very rare. I could see why parents are scared because you didn't see gay happiness. Yes, Which is absolutely. still something we're struggling with now. And I realised, I think there was a point when I was like, well, you know, why 
you know, why wasn't there more sort of positive representation in my life? And I realized that, yeah, exactly like you're saying, that what my, my parents were scared for me because they knew in their lifetime a world where it it wasn't easy to be a, a, a gay man or an eccentric person. You know, my, my dad was born in 1941. Um, that was an age which was very, 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 very different. Like where you would, you, you know, you would be arrested. You would be, you, you know, you'd never, you know, you'd be sent to prison. So it's, I, I now realise what a massive shift it was. And of course, they, then, as you say, we're, we're hearing so much about HIV AIDS and the terror of that and the misinformation that came because the government didn't really mm. want to get involved, seemingly. So with that comes, that, that doesn't mean that just nobody knows about it. It means that people, you know, there's misinformation and there's fear, um, even more fear than there, there would have been anyway. So th- th- I get that it was totally terrifying to them. There wasn't this kind of, sense of like you know what you can live a fabulous life uh mm. live in you know a great apartment with open brickwork and basically <laughs> i'm talking about stewart's flat and um queer as folk but um <laughs> neon neon lighting there was none of that so four-wheel drive playing loud music <laughs> uh, friend works in a supermarket you can't have that you didn't know we did they didn't know they didn't know there was that wonderful world <laughs> waiting for me <laughs> So yeah, but it, so I, I've I think as well I have a lot more compassion for people of that time realizing that was the the context of it and and so any eccentricity or any flamboyance was again a, a part of that that you'd be seen as a bit of a somebody people are like oh he's one of them you know kind of raised eyebrows or rolled eyes or like oh well I think stay clear of him thank you mm. that kind of dismissiveness but wow. happily that seems to be changing what what were the kids around you wearing them what were the big trends when you were a teenager so i can imagine you in your lovely suit but what's everyone else around you wearing uh very much uh jeans uh ralph was the aspiration ralph shirts ralph around uh um reebok classics or elise if you were feeling a little you wanted to go a little different uh elise trainers which <laughs> came in a very natty uh, beige, actually, they came in a cream, and a navy blue and a black. <laughs> um, Reebok Classics, endless combinations. Um, uh, mm-hmm. I would say at that point, it was a, I think, a straight leg jean, or maybe a slight boot cut, very slight, maybe, um, an untucked Ralph Lauren shirt, uh, mm-hmm. and, or, or YSL, and um, I can't remember those jackets, those sort of mod jackets with a collar. Like this Harrington jacket. jacket. Is that a Harrington jacket with like a checkered inside? Inside, yes, yeah, um, yeah. That was very much the vibe. Um, in the wake of Oasis and Blur and Britpop, that sort of that sort of look. But and kickers, that was the other shoe. Yes, of course. Shoes. And my parents, my mum and dad were having none of it. Like what? They cost how much? No, we're not getting you there. You just grow out. No, you're not wearing them to school. So I had the, uh, the imitation kickers, which were. Uh, from Marks and Spencer's. So they're essentially a, a lace-up moccasin. Which was <laughs> yes, not, lovely. Not, not the same. My maths teacher had the same shoes. <laughs> That's... <laughs> oh, God. And do you know what? You would have clocked that as soon as you walked in as yeah, well. Like, <laughs> the chill of being yeah. like, no, not the same shoes as Mr. Marshall. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, and that was in like early days of secondary school as well when I was like really trying to like blend in and just wanted to be like one of the one of the guys but I yeah I remember buying a YSL shirt in denim actually so I did double denim at that point and that's when I wore that I thought I'd really arrived but I I mean 
hadn't. I don't think I had. I think I always felt like that was uncomfortable. I think that's, I suppose going back to your earlier question, I felt like that wasn't right. And so then I was like, that's when I um, was like, this isn't what I want. I, want, I still crave those mm-hmm. lovely um, ties and tie rack. <laughs> about your style as it is today when did you start being your authentic self in terms of how you dress then so it feels like you dabbled with it but when did it when did the you know what we see now that the tailoring in the suits when did that fully, fully manifest i think it was when i got into my early 30s i've really liked my early 30s for that reason i think in my 20s i try and be cool i tried to fit in and then i start doing stand up and I sort of wore suits for that, but not sort of outlandish suits. I just sort of wore a suit and I tried to, you know, wear the, the bootcut jeans and the square square loafers as we all did. Basically, I kitted myself out head to toe from Zara <laughs> one day. Just felt like I'm like, I'm done with being, with dressing like a dad. I want to have my own style. Went to Zara, bought something with lots of zips on it. Looked like a kind of... Looks... <laughs> 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 very much like a, 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 a European man. Um, and when I was working on the Holloway Road in North London, um, again, another fabulous place, if anybody knows um, that area. Uh, and and then I sort of was doing it and I was like, and then I started to sort of wear, on stage I'd wear like red trousers or I'd wear brooches or I'd wear neckerchiefs. And people at that time again would be like, why, but why are you dressed? Oh, I don't know if I like those trousers on you. Oh, I don't know if I like those. And it was like, they probably didn't fit that well because... Well, I didn't have any money. So they were like, probably like what was ever in the sale at Zara <laughs> or H&M. But people would be like, why? Why don't you get a nice pair? Why don't you get... And it's like, because I can't justify to myself paying £80 for a pair of trousers. Um, so I uh, so I, I just wear that sort of stuff. People are like, why? And so I shied away from it again. And then I just went, oh, bollocks to all of this. And I just sort of, that's when I sort of started going a bit more all out with like, I want to wear a suit. I want to, maybe I want to wear a dinner jacket sometimes. Maybe I want to wear this. Maybe I want to, and just sort of embraced a kind of uh, more formal tailoring and, and, and would be like, no, that doesn't fit right. I need to get that fitted right. Um, And just sort of, yeah, started to, and you'll notice now, like, oh, newsreaders are wearing pocket squares now. When I started, no one was wearing them. I'm claiming (laughs) it. I'm claiming it. So that, so I'd say early early thirties, mid thirties was kind of, and did, did, did everything feel different when you started getting things taken in to fit you? Well, um, yes, a bit more. Again, it's always felt a bit like an extravagance, though, to have something altered because it costs extra, doesn't it? We have to take it to a person to do it for you. And I suppose I've always been a bit like, oh, is this a waste? Am I embarrassing myself? Um, but actually now I'll go, yes, I want it to fit absolutely right. And if it doesn't fit right, I'll be like, no, it doesn't fit right. And I'm paying for it, so I want it to be right, mm. um, and and it's something that I happen to, you know, enjoy. I don't have kids, but I've got some nice clothes, and um, <laughs> and so that's I kind of try not to feel too ashamed about that, and um, so so yeah, so I, I, it is nice. It is, it, and as I say, like my dad said, it's about it's not about how you look; it's about how you feel. So you know that feeling of like when you wear something that you know you love. You feel amazing. It's yeah. such a great feeling. Yeah. I think you get it when you go to like, if you go to a wedding and you're wearing whatever you want and you've dressed up and you've planned an outfit and you've taken time to get ready. It's love. It's lovely. You feel, you feel like Elizabeth Taylor. 
Yeah, absolutely. I had that at Joe's wedding the other day where oh. I was just like put on a nice dress that I'd had for ages and had the shoes and everything. And I was like, oh gosh, I feel great. And because yeah. of lockdown, I've just been locked oh, in a yeah. house wearing trackies. I yeah. felt like such a celebration. Um, oh, it just is amazing how nice clothes can make you feel. Mm. I agree. Really shallow to say, but no, I like saying. nice things. <laughs> yeah, and, it's, and like I said, it can be anything. But if you if it's your new thing, it's great mm. to just uh, enjoy it and look after it and celebrate wearing it and stuff. I do have a style tip. I don't know if there's a point in this when you would like oh, to let's hear. hear it. Um, the the best style advice I have for anybody listening is um, never save anything for best. So, like, if you buy something new and you like wearing it, wear it. Because I remember doing that of like buying a suit in a sale, which I really loved. And then I went and I was like, I'll save that for just for best occasions. What is the best occasion? You might wear it. You might go to a wedding once a year, twice a year, maybe a party. You're wearing it like three times a year. You like wearing it. Wear it. I think maybe if you've got a special occasion you want it for, keep it for that. Make that the first time. Then you get the special feeling. But then wear it. Just wear it. Don't the, yeah. the instinct to go. No, no, no. That's uh, that's my best one. I'll just wear the old thing. It's just like no. Makes you like it. You deserve it. You wear it because otherwise it and fashions change and then you don't feel a sort of special wearing it. So I just think you 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 got something new or something you love. Just put it on right now. Go on, all of you. Do it now. <laughs> That's lovely. I, remember, I would sometimes wear a dinner jacket around the house when I was. Because I remember, because I would get obsessed with going to vintage clothing shops when I was a teenager. All my friends would be like, I don't, I don't know what they'd be doing, fingering each other, <laughs> and I'd be like, I'd go up to town and I'd take my birthday money, and my dad would be like, put it somewhere where people can't steal it. So I would put it in my sock, which was actually much more cumbersome when you're trying to buy something. <laughs> but I'd go around like all these vintage clothing shops long before vintage clothing was fashionable. I hasten to add, or the kind of. Um, famous kind of uh, vintage markets sort of like um like Labrick Grove and mm. um and and Angel had uh, a market there and Greenwich Market actually had a lot of stuff and um and there's a place called Cornucopia in Victoria and um I bought a dinner jacket there once and uh it was from I looked in the label and it had as a name I don't know who it's from but uh it had the year 1937 on it and I thought that was very special. Um, oh. And it's very much cut in that era of jacket, which is much shorter jackets on men and uh, a, a higher waistcoat because the trousers were like pulled up to your neck. And um, and and I loved it. And I'd wear it around the house. And mum would be like, oh, are you going to wear that again? I was like, yeah, I just wanted to. <laughs> That's so Barkers. lovely. It's so charming, the whole thing. And you, I feel like you have fun with your accessories as well. Obviously, you have your very classic watch now, but your your pocket squares, let's talk about them a bit. When did you start embracing the, the pocket square? Because I think they're quite, a, they're, they're some, they're beautiful. But when you open them out, when I've seen them, they are absolutely gorgeous, the pocket squares that you have. Oh, thank you for saying that. I um, I think it felt like a, a f again a flamboyance to sort of have anything there that wasn't you maybe have like one like men's clothing was so apologetic i think until very recently yes it was yes! so like oh just don't just don't just be there just don't like um and so the idea of having like something in the pocket was like oh what do you think you are always this like kind of shaming i don't know maybe i projected it but it felt like there was a sense of like like who do you think you are like but in a even like a white something there like we're not it's not we're not going to a dinner dance we're not going to a ball all right well, it's not an award ceremony all right um <laughs> and and then i was like oh, i just sort of started to it and then i and then i think i just i can't remember where i must have just bought one from somewhere 
I can't remember what my first one was. I think I bought, a, it was one, it was a cravat actually, I bought from like one of those vintage places. And I just stuffed that in there and I was like, oh, that's a bit of fun. And it would just sort of like lift the outfit. That's why I like wearing ties and pocket squares because they are just a bit of a, a way to add a bit of colour to otherwise what is quite a, can be quite a boring look. You know, it's kind of a time when people would wear kind of like ill-fitted, sort of quite very boxy. You see it in like... Um, a lot of American sitcoms of, of that era as well. Like, I remember when I first went, I was so excited. I was desperate to go to America when I was like 19, 18, 19. I'd saved up. I'd had a job. I'd never spent any of the money. And, um, uh, and I'd went to America and everything was really like that, like really kind of still quite 80s and sort of sort of very broad. There was no, there was no kind of, um, stri- there was no kind of like uh, structure or kind of, um, embracing of the of, of, of anything really it was just sort of like it was just there it just hangs enough big <laughs> sort of blousy jackets and um and so yeah sort of doing that felt like a lot neater a lot tighter and a lot sort of I suppose the sort of thing that a gay person would do and I think I'd been taught that that was a something that I shouldn't do uh and so and then I realized actually I don't have to I can recreate that I can sorry correct that thinking um, and I don't have to worry about it. And actually, I am a gay man, and I want to dress like that, so I'm going to dress like that. So and when you sort of rewire those those messages that you've got from early on at school and stuff, and and you go, oh, actually, I don't have to be miserable all the time. I can wear, and it was, it's kind of, I think it comes hand in hand with going like, I, I just want to wear that, and I love it. And you see people wear all sorts of things, and you go, yeah, good. Like, what a fun way of expressing yourself. And mm. I think especially after the last 18 months, I hope people do that more, that... Um, you know, if you just find a tablecloth you love, stick your head through it and, you know, have the time of your life. Have a great day. Ruin the tablecloth, yeah. Ruin the tablecloth. I mean, maybe maybe let people finish their dinner first. <laughs> I think that's so interesting about you because to me, because you also, when I think of your suits, I think of you, they're in very traditional materials, like a tweed. You've got some lovely, beautiful ones. Um, oh, which to me is quite formal and structured. But there's these just snapshots of joy in your pocket squares and your ties and and things like that that do bring this element of of fun is is that are those your sort of flights of fancy i guess and i do go for everything are we are we going for a tie pin as well or all those little sort of of add accoutrement like that on occasion um and i like I know we were sort of saying, sort of slagging off slightly, but um, I do kind of like the way that David Beckham kind of embraces a, a certain style, um, and um, and I think I do. Yeah, I do sometimes add a little uh, a little flourish here and there. I like that. Rufus Wainwright has been a big hero of mine for a long time, and I remember seeing him like wearing jackets with like brooches and and stuff that was just like, yeah, I'm just here. I just want to maybe I want to dress as Judy Garland for this concert. What are you gonna What are you gonna do? You gonna call the police on me? And <laughs> and I I like that. Uh, you know, you see, see people like men embracing those, those, um, those, those little kind of flourishes. I was thinking of um, um, Wayne uh, Win Evans, who has such a great style. You know, the brilliant. Um, yeah, he's been on this. He's doing he's more great. than just the weather, but has he done this show? Oh, good. Um, he's such a lovely guy, and such a again, like loves a. He he wears lots of like pastel uh, suits and like really brightly mm-hmm. coloured suits, and of course he's blessed with being ginger. They can wear anything, yeah. but um, I, you know. I can't. I can't wear beige. I'm sorry. Um, those are the rules. We know the rules. Uh, and uh, but you know, he likes to wear a brooch and stuff. And I, I love that. I love that kind of stuff because it's all there for the taking. And why not? Like why not? If you want to, I think as well. If we look, it's not not new to have that attitude because I think in the 70s there was a lot of that kind of dress yeah. dress sense and style. And 
The 80s, I think, had its own extravagances when you think about those like, massive hairdos and those like, huge shoulder pads and clip-on earrings that, uh, sadly, many of the women wear. But, um, <laughs> that, uh, and then latterly drag queens wore. But the... Um, I think a lot of drag queens still model themselves very much on that 80s style, don't they, actually, when you Blow think about up, it? yeah. That's what, yeah, yeah, really, like, it's really, like, eight, it's so 80s. Why is it? It's Elizabeth Taylor. Um, but <laughs> the, um, the, yeah, and then the 90s just felt, like, quite sort of, like, quite grungy, you know? Like, not, it was sort of quite, like, I remember, like, khaki cargo trousers that were ill-fitting and, mm. and a sort of sport top that felt very practical but not very fun and not very there was nothing showy offy about that there was nothing exquisite about that it was all just like no that's enough fine yeah was, black and white adidas poppers like it's weirdly sort of utilitarian and and even yes. the sportswear wasn't fun <laughs> like it was just no it, it felt like it borrowed everything from yeah, practical Is there a trend that you have tried to pull off repeatedly that isn't happening? I feel like it is something like sporty and kind of, oh, like popping a collar on a, on a polo shirt. <laughs> Cannot get away with it. I think really? it's very stylish. I could see Cannot it popped it. And, then a, and then a knotted jumper around your shoulders. Well, now you can have that playfulness. But like five years ago, if you tied a jumper around your neck, people were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Who do you think you are? Robinson's advert. <laughs> Like, so people would be so like adamantly hateful about anything like that. But now you can be like, yeah, maybe I fancy dressing like, like I'm on my way to Wimbledon and uh, it's 1984 and I'm I'm Martina Navratilova. Like maybe that's who I am today. Like no, no, you know, no one can, no one has a go at you. I like the playfulness of that, uh, or that I'm like a kind of fairly successful closeted homosexual in 1979 and I live in America like I just, you know what you can be just take on these characters pop on a I love to I love to shoulder robe I also love a real shoulder robe which is a style I cannot really pull off but I would love to try which only I would try when I was drunk and thinking I was being very funny would be to wear either a blazer or indeed even better a coat just across the shoulders not putting through the arms. To me, that's what camel camel coloured jackets are for, with one of those white sort of opera scarf things. That oh, to me is that's... That's such a strong look. Oh, that is a strong look. Now I want it, even in summer. I want it. Um <laughs> and um I love yeah, I love anything like that. A real I'd love to wear a cape actually. I think a cape is really Yes. Like my friend yeah. Dr. Ranj Singh, he wore a, a camel, I think it was camel cape. He wore uh, to an award ceremony and I thought oh that's wonderful really long as well it was really because again there's that Victorian style that sort of like mid 19th century uh, style that was very like bri- like brilliant for sort of making I think for making accentuating people in a nice way and sort of those mm. like double um, layered cloaks um, I just love it love that kind of Dickensian oh, chic it is. even though a lot of people were in workhouses <laughs> not that chic not, that's not the character I want to be <laughs> the good layers, not the sad layers. yeah <laughs> not the sad layers. yeah exactly yeah 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 the, the fun <laughs> fun nicely dressed Jean Valjean can I ask you what's the item clothing you've had for the longest do you hold on to stuff or do you are you have, have a clear out um, I do hold on to things actually if they're if they're sentimental, but I think I try and be a bit Marie Kondo about it. Um, set it free on its journey. Does it spark joy? No. <laughs> um, I think it's probably a tie actually that I stole off my dad. It's a blue polka dot one. Oh, lovely! That he got from Saint Michael. Oh, 
<laughs> yeah. back in the day. Back in the day, MS branding was different then. Yeah. <laughs> I like the yeah. St. Michael things. That's how you know you've got a good. Also, very well made, and they always wash well if it's got St. Michael on it. Yeah, they did wash up well. I'm sure they still do. Shirts, actually, I've got from there. Always wash up well. <laughs> little tip. Some, some places, a little tip. Some places more expensive don't wash up as well. Also, I know we're talking about clothing. I feel this is relevant. I'm still getting my head around biological and non biological washing powder. Isn't it just if you come out in a rash, it, so not... you shouldn't use. Biological. Yes, you shouldn't use bio. It's got an enzyme in it that um, that my friend, who is a wardrobe uh, and wardrobe manager and stylist, said uh, the enzymes in biological washing powder you could dissolve a body in. How she knew that, I don't know. But she said, um, top tip. <laughs> and um, how she knew it, I don't know. But uh, also she said, don't use biological above 40, because I always thought biological was for the like no, hardcore it staining. It, and it? like if you wanted to. Yeah, but she said but above 40 degrees, those enzymes are killed. So you need to um, not go above 40. It's the non-bio you go for the hot wash. Discuss. Yeah, well, did you not learn about enzymes denaturing above, uh, basically, body temperature? Um, so the oh, little really? active site on an enzyme, which eats eats away, that denatures at, at sort of above body Never temperature. So, yeah, when people sort of boil wash things or, or you know, basically you should wash at 30 for everything and then it would still yeah. work. Um, well, I put my face masks on a hot wash the other day because I thought that would be an important part of like hygiene. And um, let me tell you, silk doesn't do well at seventy-five degrees. Oh no! Oh no! There's some nice like I've got these like little squares now that I can put over my face. <laughs> Just live. <laughs> like, yeah, they were like beautiful colours, beautiful like designs. Dead. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Dead. I really genuinely feel for you. Yeah, for I that. thought this is what I need to. I need to do this to kill germs. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there an era that you wish you existed in for the fashion? I think yours might be probably the earliest era we've ever had anyone suggest. Yeah, probably like I like eighteen twenties to eighteen fifties, eighteen forties, fifties. Yeah, that sort of era, late Regency. Um, the ones when they stopped wearing men stopped wearing wigs and started curling their hair and had those very sexy sideburns and high mm. collar stocks around their neck and a. Um, uh, what is it called? Yeah, like a stock kind mm. of uh, tie. And then often a tailcoat, often breeches, which was great for showing off a calf, which, as we know, is the sexiest part of a man. <laughs> it's, yes, very Bridgerton. Although people I know, I spoke to someone else about it yesterday, who if they know about fashion and fashion history, found Bridgerton incredibly distracting because it mixes periods. And they were like, oh, well, four of those fabrics weren't even invented at that time. And yeah. Oh, um, that's Oh, I'd love to talk to them. It's very... Mm. Uh, it's, I find it so interesting, the history of fashion and how a lot of a lot of like early 20th century formal wear evolves out of 19th century workwear, as is often the case, um, that fashion often goes in, in reverse of kind of like um, social structure. Yeah. Uh, and so, for example, like Mr. Banks in Mary Poppins is wearing a striped trouser with a black jacket and waistcoat. Mm-hmm. Well, that striped striped trousers were often... The, the the wear with a waistcoat was often the wear of like farm labourers in the 19th century and for some reason it sort of became incorporate now if you see uh, somebody at Ascot they'll often be wearing that same striped trouser tailcoat combo um, and sort of evolved wow. for some reason out of I don't know I, I guess a, a reflection of the chain you know the reform bills mm. and maybe I don't, I don't know exactly That's but so the, I find fashion is such a it's such a kind of 
a bit like that scene in The Devil Wears Prada where she's like, I don't care about fashion. And then she turns on and she's like, you're wearing this, which was inspired by this. And, but it is all kind of a, a very, very intricate web of and a reflection of society, which we don't really realise we're part of. But inevitably, we are part of this, I was going to say tapestry. Um, no, you're so of, right. And there's more to, you're so right. Like, like the fashion of the time tells you a lot about what's happening. Well, like the Dior new look with all those you know, huge volume was like, we've all been rationed. Now let's go wild. We've got yes. material. It tells you so much about the time everything's existing. And I think it's, yeah, absolutely fascinating. Um, I wanted to ask, is there an item of clothing that you have now that you put on and you just instantly feel amazing in it? Um, yes, I bought a navy blue suit um, that I had. Oh, is that is that a good answer? Well, yeah, there's a navy blue suit I had uh, made uh, and um, it's from a shop that I never thought I'd be able to go to because it was a too cool. Um, well, basically, it was just too cool. And then I went there and they were so nice to me. And um, I'd, it's me who just like made myself think that, that they were too cool for me. And um, and I love wearing it. And I wore it for my dad's 80th the other day. And I felt like it's very cool. Um, it sounds beautiful. So what is the suit made of? Uh, wool. Just a navy blue wool. It sounds quite boring now. I've described it. But it's just the way that I know they made it. They made it. I just sort of let them do their thing. I stopped trying to be like, um, I'd quite like to have these sort of lapels because that reminds me of Elton John in 1974. <laughs> and I'd like these. And like they were, I was just like, whatever you think, I should just do. And I trusted them and their skills because it's such a skill. Like those those craftspeople are so amazing. Uh, and any craft, I think, is is so, so brilliant. It must be treasured. Um, and so I felt very lucky to enjoy their their, their skill. And so um, I just did whatever they said and I, I enjoy wearing it. Um, so there's that. Also, I bought a top hat once in Edinburgh. I quite like wearing that around the house. It doesn't quite fix. I've got a massive head. I've seen you in a top hat on the, on the side of a, um, uh, I think it was um, tape set of Bleak Expectations. Oh, Curie, yes. Available at all good service stations. Um, yes. Uh, the CD of the radio series we did, the Spoof Dickens. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah, that wasn't my hat. That was you a lovely, lovely top hat. lovely at it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Maybe I should bring them back. <laughs> I'm trying to bring back cravats a bit more in the sort of, I don't know, kind of Michael Caine way. Oh, I love it. I, oh, God, yes. That, men of that, that era, I just think, are so, so well-dressed. What's your relationship like with shopping? It sounds like you're an in-person shopper, but do you do online? Do you do you enjoy it, or is it an ordeal? I will do something online. I find it just stressful because I'm like, okay, I have to be in when it arrives, and then I have to organise for it to go back if it doesn't fit. Will I get caught in that awful trap of going, oh, well, it's fine. I can't be bothered to send it back. I'll just keep it, which I think is the worst. Mm. Um, and if you send it back, you have to keep an eye on your bank statement to make sure they're definitely refunding you. All of these things I find a little... Um, a little, a little bit annoying. So I do prefer to go in if I can, but like it feels a bit of an indulgence just to be like waltzing around a high street. But I love it. I love just going to a shopping centre and picking up some bits. I love to go to a Westfield, just see what they've got. And if you're in the mood and just buying a few treats, it's lovely, isn't it? It is nice. And just Especially for, I enjoy shopping if I'm not going for anything specific. If I'm going for something specific, it's an ordeal. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. You find it stressful? Yeah, you know, if it's like, I've got to get a pair oh. of jeans and then you're like, there are no jeans in the whole shopping centre. Uh, whereas if I'm just like, oh, I'll pop in, oh, I'll yeah. find loads of things that I like then. Yeah, exactly. I think with jeans, you just have to wait for the mood to take you. Because <laughs> like with these ones I've got on, like I just did exactly that, popped in, and I was like, I'll just try a couple on. If it had been a busy Saturday and I'd been too hot, I would have been like, <laughs> oh, this is the worst. 
It's those two things. Busy Saturday, too hot. Those are an absolute killer oh, for shopping. too hot. Why? It's so claustrophobic and they're like, oh, i got to get back all these bags. Oh. oh, should we go and sit down in a cafe revive? Oh, it's too full. <laughs> Is, um, do, what's your relationship like with, do you think about sustainability and, and things like that when you're shopping? Because you, I don't see you, you don't churn through a lot of clothing. I don't see you as a fast fashion guy, but is that something that you think about when you're getting a suit or anything like that? I do, I do try to actually, and I do think, because I, I know f- the fashion industry is responsible for a lot of um, pollution. Um, and so my, I mean, it's, it, it's a very privileged thing to say, but um, I try to um, invest mm. in nicer things and have and buy them less frequently. Um, and so I try to do that with shoes, certainly, um, and, and suits actually as well. I don't tend to kind of, Get, I, I will wear a suit out before I'll throw it away. I will, I'll never throw it away, really. I just keep it just in case or something. But um, so I try and do that, really. Um, and and even accessories and stuff, I like to have like nice ones that I love. I think I think it's very. I, I get it, and it's not my place to ever criticize anybody for, you, you know, buying buying whatever they want. Anybody can buy whatever they want, but I suppose it's just sometimes worth having it in all of our minds, like when we throw stuff away or just sort of buying my mum does it loves to buy buy me like some t-shirts from a cheaper shop and I'm always like oh I would maybe have rather have bought like one mm. um but you know that's but also I think it's very easy like I said, it's very easy for me to say that and I think as well we never we never people never talk about class really and my parents are from a very traditional working class background and um and I think the idea for, maybe this is a very condescending thing to say. They'd probably smash me in the face. But like having treats is a treat. You know they appreciate yeah. it, and so it's very easy for me to go. Y- you know I do I do all right, and so I can be like I'm going to invest in high end mm. cotton. Um, but if you can't do that and you want to have a new outfit, then who am I to be like, uh, guys? Uh, I think you need <laughs> to um, think about what this is doing because who who, who the fuck do I think I am? <laughs> So, it's, uh, but I guess it's. I think it would be nice maybe if the fashion industry took a bit more of a stand. That would be. Mm-hmm. That would be. I don't think it's. It's a bit unfair to put a lot of, a lot of weight on the, um, on the consumer who is largely, um, powerless in, in, you know, where things are manufactured. Mm. You know. Yeah. I, totally agree. Is there what, what, your relationship with them secondhand? So you used to go to the vintage shops when you were younger. Did you still like that? What's the What's the best thing you've ever thrifted or got secondhand or charity shop? I'd say probably my the dinner jacket was from 1937. It's my favourite ever vintage buy. Uh, but also I have some lovely vintage um, pocket squares actually now that people have given me and uh, and stuff and or you know yeah that just a uh, I've got a really nice vintage tie I really like. Um, and that sort of stuff I like doing because that's again if if you sort of keep a, a sort of stand like a baseline of like a few shirts a few suits then you can instantly kind of jazz it up and and reinvent things so I'm I'm kind of all for that certainly oh. um, but but yeah I try I try and keep an eye on things and and like old fashioned clothing I think is really exciting if you find that like I said top hat yeah which I did find once in a charity shop in Edinburgh love it uh, do you see your style changing a lot as you get older or do you think I mean I think what you have is very timeless I think I could see you in it forever but how do you feel about that um I I like it for now um I like the playfulness of it I like the fact that we're that I embrace the sort of costume element of 
clothing. So I suppose I hope I always get to do that. And actually, when you look at someone like someone I've always really loved since I was like about 10 was Elton John at a time when he wasn't actually very like in the public consciousness at that time. And uh, I I would love the way that he's always like, yes, I'm going to wear a Versace tracksuit. Oh, yes, I'm going to wear a boiler suit and I'm going to wear this. And like he's Elton John, he can do that, you know, and he's. He's not the youngest man now, but he still wears whatever he wants. And you kind of go, yeah, good on you. So I'd like to be like that. That would be a nice, nice way to be maybe. Or or maybe another end of the spectrum is that I kind of keep getting more and more formal and sort of dress eventually like the complete David Niven uh, <laughs> by the time I get to an old age. Or Cary Grant. It'd be nice to be like oh, Cary Grant, wouldn't it? Oh, yes. Yes, please. Is there an item of clothing you can always see yourself wearing then? Um... Well, I, I suppose, yes, a suit, I guess. A, a navy blue suit I probably always wear. It sounds very boring, doesn't it? No, not at all. Um, but I think a navy blue suit with a white shirt. Can't can't go wrong. Uh, and, yeah, just sort of, you're not being afraid of it, really. I think that's the important thing. You just If you're not afraid of what people are going to say or what how you're going to look like if you wear that, <laughs> you know, that's feels that's part of it. Um penultimate question are there any trends that you're hoping never come back um yeah uh, bootcut jeans <laughs> and cargo pants <laughs> definitely truly hideous i think don't you <laughs> um which was just after actually i remember the girls at my school would wear morgan tops morgan were you a fan of morgan yeah that was um, big in my school as well not mid morgan <laughs> but just morgan yeah uh, but and with the, would keep the bags afterwards. Oh yeah, so they would be worn yeah. as like a school bag. Quite the statement. Huge deal. And you get battered if you had a little Oraldi bag for your trainers for PE. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, did you did you have little Oraldi when you were at school? You're younger than they, me. They ju- one of them had just arrived in town. I believe it was Aldi, and people would turn their plastic bags inside oh. out. Their you know bags for swimming or whatever. So you, but everyone still could see the orange glow of an Aldi logo under there. <laughs> That's so funny, isn't it? That's so funny. Yeah, I remember that exactly being the case. People were so vile. <laughs> vile is exactly the word. Um, fi- <laughs> final question. It's a, it's a slightly more sombre one. Oh, good. Um, is uh, what outfit would you like to be buried in? Um, white tie and tails. Definitely. Have you got one of those yet? Yeah. I wore it when I did the T's and C's on Strictly. <laughs> <laughs> And I had it from when I was a teenager because I won the school piano competition and it meant I got to do a solo in the Easter concert, which was in the church in Bromley High Street. And um, my friend, who was also my out-of-school drama teacher, Miss Hammond, um, made it her project to source me a tailcoat. And so I wore that. I thought I was Vladimir Ashkenazi walking up the central nave. (laughs) uh, You you write about her in your book, which is, as you know, I've messaged you, so brilliant. And the story that you have, yeah, when you talk about her in your book, it's gorgeous. So if anyone's listening hasn't hasn't, uh, bought the book yet, please do. It's it's a beautiful read. Tom, thank you so much for chatting to me. I really appreciate it. Kiri Pritchard, Shirley MacLaine, it's my pleasure. I thank you very much for having me on your lovely podcast. I've enjoyed this chat so much. How lovely was that episode? Um, I still laugh about Tom having the same snide kickers as his math teacher. Absolutely brutal stuff. Every time I see a pair of kickers, I laugh a bit to myself. Now, when I was listening back to this episode, I do actually wish I'd asked Tom more about 
his reluctance to do things like, you know, he's talking about using a tailor and he says, because it sort of feels like an extravagance. And then you sort of feel embarrassed that you, are, you know, like, who do you think you are? Why, you know, like you've got ideas above your station, I guess. That's so interesting, isn't it? And I think, I feel like lots of us feel like that. Like, lots of us deny ourselves small and large luxuries because there's a shame attached to it. Or do you think maybe it's because we think we don't deserve it or maybe a combination of all those things? I was thinking about that a lot, basically, and I'm going to keep thinking about that. Also, I love his don't serve anything for best. What do you guys think about that? I mean, the problem is, is... People have said it on this podcast before and since, and I always nod vigorously when they do, and then I still end up looking at the beautiful things I own, and I think, wish I had somewhere nice to wear that. <laughs> so I'm like, yes, yes, absolutely, preach. But then I'm like, oh, well, I couldn't possibly wear that. Um, so basically, it looks like I'm going to be wearing a ball gown to do the recycling. <laughs> I've got to try and start wearing, because I've got so much lovely stuff that... I mean, there isn't an occasion that I can wear them for, so I'm going to endeavour to do a Tom Allen and wear a dinner jacket around the house. Um, thank you so much for listening and for interacting with us on social media. I normally avoid most interaction on there um, because it makes me feel sad. <laughs> but I feel like we're building like a really lovely wee gang of like-minded folks here who love fashion and interesting people and also care about the planet that's coming over more and more um speaking of said people um there's a really great email here um so it reads i've never said it reads before but i quite like that so it reads hello thanks for creating who are you wearing it is the podcast i didn't know i needed as sophie hagen put it i don't know who i am in public that is exactly how I was feeling about clothes. After a couple of years of wearing whatever sweatshirt and pair of jeans are cleanest and close to hand. But binge listening, W-A-Y-W, Wayward? Wayward? How are we going to say it? Still still working it out, guys. We're only series two. Um, but binge listening, Wayward? I'm going to say Wayward. But binge listening, Wayward, has managed to pull me out of my rut. It's made me feel excited about my wardrobe again. Hearing your guests talk about their sartorial choices and what clothes mean to them has made me look at what I wear with a beady eye. I'm being more honest with myself about I I'm being more honest with myself about what I genuinely feel comfortable in and also thinking about the different ways I can mix and match the lovely things I already have. Thanks again, Dawn. Dawn, what a lush message. I that is do you know what that's the thing I weirdly didn't anticipate happening but it's echoed in a lot of the messages that I wanted to talk to people because I think clothes tell a story and I wanted to hear the story behind the clothes oh my god I've just said that out loud in a hotel room in Leeds to myself and I was like well that should have been a fucking tagline shouldn't it <laughs> uh, yeah I wanted to talk to people about their clothes um because I think it's so interesting and get some tips but I wasn't expecting so many people to be I guess, like, it rebooting their enthusiasm for clothes and fashion. And also loads of us who maybe loved that when we were growing up or, you know, even in our 20s or something. And then because of work or kids or just our body shape changing or all of the above, um, the pando have just sort of, like, I guess it slipped down the list. And I guess wearing nice clothes and and taking care of yourself to tell your story with your clothes is like a, another form of self-care that I hope we're all um, remembering to prioritise. 
I just find it very interesting. So thank you so much for getting in contact. Um, if you want to send us an email, we absolutely buzz off them. You can email whoyouwearingpod at gmail.com or you can message us on the Insta. No, heads up, I never check messages on Insta because I assume there's going to be abuse in there. But wonderful producer Joe does. It's at whoyouwearingpod. And we also whack up pictures of our guests on there as well. So go and have a little nose through. Um, now, every week I try and bray about a fashion indie that I think makes great stuff in a cool way. And it's usually inspired by the guests I have on. So obviously Tom Allen, pretty famous for the suits. Obviously you mentioned having a top hat in there. I don't know many ethical top hat makers. <laughs> Feel free to get in contact if you know one of them. But as Tom is a fan of a suit, I would like to talk about, in many ways, the ultimate suit, the pyjamas. <laughs> pyjamas, they're so good that you can wear them out and about. So please get to know the wonderful Glasgow-based irregular sleep pattern. So they're like vibrant, amazing pyjama suits. The kind of pyjamas that I, I promise look like they're just cool outfits out and about. They're certified organic cotton pyjamas and they make bedding as well. And they're just stunning. Made in small batches in Portugal where the people making them are paid fairly as well because that's important. The founders and owners, Mill and Jolene, focus on timeless cuts and designs. And it's really interesting to me. They only introduce new patterns or new colourways when they want to or when they fancy it or get some inspiration which is so interesting because traditionally I think we are all still bonded to that idea of the fashion calendar of like different seasons and so like oh what are we wearing this you know this fall season or, or whatever or like what's the summer wardrobe and the colors change and the styles change but like that is not sustainable because the trends change which means the clothes change which means more more fashion out in the world more clothes so these incredible pyjama suits who've kind of opted out of that by going for something, I think, really original and cool and timeless. They just, they're like riots of colour and pattern. I, I just, they're one of those things where I'm like, how can you not feel joyful while wearing that? And of course, like they're all gender neutral as well. And, and it's not just the cotton in the pyjamas and beddings that's kind of the, to the planet as well. So the garment bags and stickers that they use, 100% compostable. The postal pack and tape that they use are 100% recyclable. Once you've, used the, once you've taken off the FedEx um, label off the envelope because FedEx taking a little time to catch up with that stuff. It's really interesting to me as well, the other things they talk about in like their FAQs and it's so interesting where cost and sustainability and I guess moving away from mass manufactured fashion where it pops up its head where you see it. So for instance, normally when you buy stuff you get buttons in a little pack, don't you, in a plastic pack on there and they're like, oh, if you lose a button, like we don't send you out spares, just email us and we'll send it out. Um, but there's no point us sending out loads of buttons with everything when they probably won't fall off it's just more waste and therefore it's a more cost and more you know like even the bag is like more plastic in the world so I was just like oh god yeah that's so thoughtful and I hadn't thought about that same with them they're doing like lots of companies um do free returns which are like oh great but somebody pays for that somewhere and so what they do instead is they have an incredibly specific list of measurements. So if you go through that and you do all your measurements and then you pick the size that fits, which means that like if we all did that, you pretty much never have to return anything because why do most of us send it back? It's because it doesn't fit right. Like, you know, you can't look at their bright pyjamas and be like, 
I don't know if that will suit me. You're either someone who wears that stuff or you're not. So once you get the measurements right, you should never need to send it back. And I just thought, I hadn't thought about that side of production before. So it was really interesting hearing a small sustainable business lay it out as clearly as that. Also, oh my God, I think every item of clothing should have a list of specific measurements. And we should all know our own measurements because I cannot be the only one who fits in five different sizes depending on the shop that I'm in. So please send me a message if you are that person. Otherwise, I'm just going to be like, no, you are the only person who can fit in both a size 12 and a size 24 and then both be snug on you. <laughs> um, so if you are after a suit with a difference that is timeless, high quality, high impact that you can wear to bed and then out the house again. You don't even have to wash. <laughs> Just roll out. Have a nose at a regular sleep pattern because I think this stuff is really cool. Thank you so much again for listening and please join me next week as I chat to actor, comedian, presenter and former catwalk model, Michelle DeSwore. Oh my God, it is such a funny one. You're going to love it. Um, see you next week, guys. Produced by Joe Southard, the artwork is by Mary Phillips, and the music is by Annie Glass. This has been a Little Wonder production.